The Air Attack with BC The Man can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Anchor app. Subscribe and share today. I know so. All right, guys, we are back on the air attack. I, of course, am your pal, BC. You can follow me on Twitter at BC, a.k.a. The Man. You can check out the show at Facebook.com slash The Air Attack. We are now on the other side of Labor Day weekend. You can finally get your plumber on the phone in New Jersey. My God. Doctors, accountants, lawyers, everyone's swamped the last three weeks of August every year. It's weird. Anyway, uh, as everybody checks back into school, work, all those kind of things, some, some of you are getting shuffled back into the office. It, of course, is the beginning of football season. Week one of college is in the books. We'll go over some of the top 25 games that happened last week. Look ahead to this week. Look ahead to, to week one of the NFL. I'm sure you guys want to hear all about that. But let's get started with another story. This one comes out of uh, Provo, Utah. Um, this is a situation between basically... It started off as a BYU versus Duke kind of situation. It has now morphed into a BYU versus Dawn Staley situation. And it appears, at least at the moment, that it is preposterous. And it is yet another try-hard moment from a yet another college coach engaging in classic look-at-me antics. What am I talking about? Well, about a week and a half ago, Duke plays BYU in women's volleyball in Provo. Okay? After the match... A woman gets on Twitter, and again, follow me on Twitter, at BCAK, the man. Follow me before you follow this woman. Basically accuses a BYU fan of hurling racial slurs, including the magic word, okay, including the N-word, at her goddaughter, who plays on the Duke volleyball team. Okay, BYU launches an investigation, ends up banning a fan for life from BYU sporting events. I think the, the person was also banned from the campus, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, it's all done, right? They took care of the situation. Here's where it gets a little interesting. The cops investigated, the school investigated, and did a little more digging. They can't find any video of the guy saying anything. Why is that pertinent? Because apparently BYU streams like every single sporting event to their website. So every like every obscure sporting event, and I'm not knocking women's volleyball, their women are very impressive, but it's not something that would normally be necessarily televised. Well, BYU does that. They just stream it. They stream it to, you know, through their own outlet. And if you're a BYU fan anywhere in the world, you can watch their athletic matches, their games, their, whatever it may be. There's no evidence of the guy saying anything. As a matter of fact, during the second period, where apparently a lot of this took place, it looks like the guy isn't even in the student section. Additional to that, witnesses were interviewed, other fans at the game. They cannot find evidence that there was any slur whatsoever said by anyone at any time to any player on Duke, black, white, or whatever. And that's where it gets a little bit interesting. Because in the meantime, this, this would be something where you say, okay, this woman's just a, a complete jerk-off. She's a dingbat. She's a loser. She's just trying to stir up controversy. If you go on her Twitter, she basically has an issue with uh, the white people. Not a fan of the white people. She's not a, not a fan of the white people, never has been, and so it looks a little bit suspicious. Additional to that is the fact that she is actually a politician herself. She's a judge. I think she's up for a pretty big spot in Texas. Well, Dawn Staley, who is the women's basketball coach, not volleyball, not at Duke, by the way, at South Carolina, decides, oh, now, wait a minute. I'm not exposing my girls to that. I'm canceling our home-and-home basketball series with BYU, which was to begin this year. But here's the thing. Even if there was a racist fan in Provo, screaming at the Duke volleyball team, 
which apparently didn't happen because they also, by the way, can't get a Duke volleyball player to corroborate this story. So apparently what you have is a guy that no one can identify. Well, they identified somebody, which I don't know how that happened. But nobody can actually spot on audio or video doing the thing. They can't hear him. They can't see him doing the thing that he's accused of doing. They can't find one witness, not one, to corroborate this account, okay, whatsoever. So you have all that. Not only that, it's happening in, at BYU. Dawn Staley decides, oh, you know what? I got to protect my girls. We're going to cancel our series. Well, hold on now. You think that your girls are in some sort of danger on their home floor because of something some knucklehead at BYU did? It's like, it's like 2,500 miles away. How would your girls be in danger at all, number one? Number two, what are you going to do when this investigation basically shows you that nothing happened, that the whole thing's a hoax? And that's why she did it. Because we got to a point now where you can just make an accusation, and the accusation is what has legs. We see it in politics every single day. And I'm pretty sure Dawn Staley has gotten involved in some of these antics herself. Okay? And so, basically, Dawn Staley just doesn't, doesn't care. She doesn't care that the university will lose money. And when universities lose money, you know what happens? Jobs get lost. Not her job. Some other schmuck might lose their job. And stuff like this matters. Losing, losing the gate for a game like this matters. The SEC probably splits all the TV money so that it probably doesn't really hit the school that hard. But still, you're talking about their home opener. Aren't they not, I think they're national champions, so this would be a banner raising. This is a big deal, and she's canceling it. She doesn't care who loses work that day. She doesn't care about the BYU women's basketball team. She don't care about them. She cares about her. And she's not doing it for her players. Spare me that horse shit. That, that goes back to the whole, I'm doing this for all the little girls out there. No, you're not. You're doing it for you. Dawn Staley's doing it for herself. It's another attention grab. You say, well, who would make up a, a case? Who would make up such, a, such an accusation? I don't know. Why don't you ask Bubba Wallace, Jesse Smollett, and a slew of others? Give me a fucking break. And like I said, the reason she's going to do it now is because now the story's hot. Just like a few years ago, remember Jared Porter, the guy that was going to be the Mets GM, and Mina Kimes suddenly, suddenly dusted off a story about how he sexually harasses women, and she waited till just that moment, and it was all about the victim? No, it wasn't. It was about Mina Kimes. And this is all about Dawn Staley. And I, and I don't care. Listen, I, I have people come, on, come at me on Twitter with the whole black woman doing a, you know, you're criticizing her. Your first instinct is to criticize her. My first instinct is not to criticize her. When I see someone engaging in life ruining, my first instinct is to actually gather facts. Dawn Staley doesn't give two shits about the facts. She cares about her personal brand, bottom line. And this is ridiculous. And I want to know what happens in two weeks, three weeks, a month or two when BYU says, you know what, this thing never happened. This is a hoax. You think Dawn Staley is going to apologize? You think she's going to start off a postgame presser by saying, I first want to apologize to the Brigham Young University women's basketball team? I first want to apologize to the entire university. I want to apologize to South Carolina fans who were going to come out and see us that night. Not at all. Never happened. She'll never be held accountable by media, and she certainly won't be held accountable by the university the way things are going. That's just how it is now. But she has all the time in the world. The women's basketball season doesn't start for a couple of months. I mean, you're talking about a home game on your home court, and you're, you're talking about protecting your players from fans. Come on now. You're telling me you think BYU fans are traveling from Provo, Utah, just to yell racial slurs on your home court in your house at your players? I'm sorry. I don't really think she believes that, and I'm being kind when I say that. And quickly, sticking with the uh, women's basketball theme, Brittany Griner is obviously still not home. Somebody asked me if I was going to talk about this because I haven't really said anything about it yet. I didn't do a lot of shows over the summer. What do I think about the Brittany Griner situation? Number one, I think she's an idiot. I think this is par for the course with her. This is just another goofball move by a woman who's kind of become famous for these ever since she got out of college. I mean, domestic violence incidents, just, just one silly thing after the next. I guess what it comes down to is when I heard the news, I said, yeah, I'm not surprised that happened. 
People want to say she was framed. They want to say she was set up. They want to talk about some gender pay gap with the WNBA and the NBA. The WNBA is a charity, basically, that is run by the NBA. That's all there is to it. The only reason she's in Russia is because one of Vladimir Putin's buddies owns a team and was willing to pay her like a million dollars to come over there and play. So she went over there and took an opportunity. I'm not going to get into all the the, the ridiculous arguments about how she just deserves more money. There's no money for the WNBA because nobody actually wants to watch it. And that's that's just how it is. So that's why she was over there to begin with. Does this sound like something she might do? 100% it sounds like something she might do. A lot of WNBA players play in Russia. They don't get caught up in this stuff. I I don't know that she's 100% guilty. I wouldn't say that. I would say this. Even with her behavior, even with the the, the things that come out of her mouth and, you know, wanting to kneel for the anthem and hating America, yada, 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 you got to go get her. You've got to get her out of there. The problem is Russia's not going to negotiate with the United States because there's another situation going on in the world right now. And the United States is kind of trying to make their lives miserable. And that's where we're at right now. So she's basically gotten caught up in it. But she's not just a victim of that. She's a victim of herself. She just is. I mean, it's been, that's been the story with her for a very long time. And like a lot of things out there, this story was real hot for a while, and then it just sort of fizzled. Like, hey, listen, people are tired of talking about it, so let's move on. Problem is, she can't move on. She's in jail in Russia. And it's like, ah, eh, we're, we're over that. So I, I do feel badly for her, and they, they have to figure out a way to get her back. So I wonder if she'll root for Trump in a couple of years. If she's still locked up, or locked up over there, will she root for Trump? Because remember when this happened with the UCLA basketball players, Trump had him back in like 10 minutes. Remember that? Lonzo Ball's brother and some other goofball got caught shoplifting in China. So we'll see how that plays out. By the way, uh, Vladimir Putin just banned, I think it was Ben Stiller and Sean Penn from Russia. (laughs) This is like the most childish war I've ever seen in my life. You got the guy from the Ukraine going over there doing photo shoots with Vogue. Every celebrity wants to be over there. Bono, because Bono's everywhere. But Bono's got to be there. U2's got to do a concert. All the politicians from, from around the world, and they're there to do photo shoots. Like, what is Jill Biden doing in Ukraine if Ukraine is such a dangerous place? This is crazy. Anyway, Sean Penn, Ben Stiller, bad news. You're not allowed to go on that Russian vacation this winter. My goodness. The world is a very amusing place sometimes. Um, A couple NFL stories that are not amusing. And this is kind of on the same theme. Brian Robinson, rookie running back from Alabama, now plays for the Washington Commanders. Still doesn't sound right, but that's the name of the team. Um, Becomes the second NFL player in just over 14 months to get shot in his car in Washington, D.C., I think that's worth mentioning. I, par- I personally think that's noteworthy. And on Twitter, when this happened, and again, follow me on Twitter at BCAK the man, what I said, and, and I meant it, this is what happens when your take a knee antics actually cross over with real life. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is very simple. You have less cops in D.C. You, have, you had a big defund the police movement, and it's, it's all over the country, New York, L.A., Chicago, a lot of places. And they're all feeling the brunt of it, New Orleans, There's two things I hear about from people around the country. The first thing is garbage in the streets, literal like like trash, refuse, just laying around. For some reason, there's like garbage and just trash litter all over the streets in some of these places. I'm sure it's not where the movie stars live, but you get the point. The second thing is the crime. And the crime has gotten to a point where you're you're dealing with broad daylight attacks, broad daylight shootings, muggings, sexual assaults, kidnappings. How about the woman down in, in Memphis? And they just found her a couple days ago. She kidnapped, goes out for a jog at four in the morning. Okay, it's not broad daylight, it's four in the morning, but still. I mean, what, you can't go jogging at 4.30 in the morning? I, I get it. I get people saying, well, that's not a good idea. You're jogging near a college campus. That's where all the creeps hang out. Okay, fine, but you should be able to go jogging in the morning and not worry about getting stuffed into a car. And she's dead now. And the guy that, that committed the crime, the suspect at least, innocent until proven guilty, I get all that. He just did 20 years for stuffing an attorney in his trunk when he was a kid. He gets out of jail and this is what he goes and does. And this is going on all, like all over the country and nobody, nobody seems to really be 
that concerned about it other than the people who are on the wrong end of these crimes. Now Brian Robinson gets shot in broad daylight, and he described the suspects 15 and 17 years old. 15 and 17 trying to carjack him 6 o'clock at, at night in Washington, D.C. It's still daylight, and I checked out the neighborhood. It, it's actually a, kind of a tourist spot. Ben's Chili Bowl, okay, famous, famous restaurant in D.C. for tourists and locals alike. Can't even go to a casual restaurant if, if that's where he was going, but that's the neighborhood he was in. Can't even go to a casual restaurant. Can't even go about your business on a Sunday, okay, right before your first NFL season and enjoy yourself without getting carjacked. And it's the second time in 15 months or less that an NFL player has gotten shot in his car and not one of these NFL players wants to say something about it. And then Ron Rivera, fool that he is, and he is a, he is a buffoon, Ron Rivera, shows up in an orange T-shirt because we've got to fight that gun violence. Y- yeah, Ron, it's the gun's fault. Remember something. A year ago, I was a selfish asshole because I refused to get a magic potion shot that we all know now doesn't really work. But I was a selfish asshole. Ron Rivera fined one of his assistant coaches, Jack Del Rio, $100,000 because he said something about the Capitol riot. So basically, Ron Rivera is like a lot of people out there, okay, including people who are listening to this right now. Your politics have become your religion, and you think a pissed-off look on your face is a substitute for common sense or any kind of logic or any kind of integrity, okay? He, Ron, I, don't, I know cancer survivor, fine. A lot of people survive cancer. Stop, okay? Being a black woman doesn't make you a great mayor or a great basketball coach or a great person. Having cancer doesn't mean that you are just beyond reproach and no one can criticize what you've done. Okay, he acted like an asshole a year ago, and he's acting like a jackass now. I mean, give me a break. One of your players almost fucking died, and the first thing on your mind is how can I twist this and put a political spin on it? You should be absolutely ashamed. He should be ashamed of himself, but he has no shame. Okay, when you act like that, trust me, you are beyond the point of having shame because having shame requires having a conscience. And not one NFL player wants to speak out about the fact that you've got a couple of high school kids out there robbing people at gunpoint to the point where they will pull the trigger. Some people flash the gun and they're not really going to do nothing with it. But these kids, no, no, no. Brian Robinson fought back, bang, get shot. And getting shot, you say, oh, he got shot in the leg. Getting, shoot, getting shot in the leg is not a joke. He got shot in the rear end of the lower leg. You get shot in the upper leg, you got major arteries there. You can bleed out easily, very, very easily, okay? The whole shoot him in the leg thing is, is, is just complete nonsense. And I'm convinced you'd hear more of an outcry from NFL players and, of course, LeBron James and Serena Williams and the usual lot, Naomi Osaka. You know, we know the list, right? You'd hear more outcry if Brian Robinson had been pulled over by a couple of white cops and harassed than you're hearing right now and someone tried to kill him. And I heard, like I said, I heard about it on Twitter. It should have been you, MAGA trash, you're a piece of shit. I, the things, I, the things I hear every day anyway, that's fine. But the, the point is, I, what I did is I asked these people, okay, am I actually worse than the carjackers? And not one person would admit, no, no, come on, man, stop. You, you, you're being crazy. Obviously, the carjackers and the guys who tried to murder the kid, those guys are worse. And by the way, I've not heard anything about any arrests being made. And this happened again in broad daylight in a pretty nice neighborhood. When two players from that league, I did the math, it's like 1,600 players, are on active NFL rosters at any one time. And two of those guys in just over like, like a year and a quarter, just inside of a year and a quarter, have been shot in their cars in the same city. That's not noteworthy. It's gotten to the point where better to not say a word about the entire situation than to, heaven forbid, criticize his majesty, Mr. Kaepernick. Some of you need some serious, serious help. Another story out of the NFL. This is possibly more disturbing, but okay. Once again, innocent until proven guilty. Matt Ariza's drafted from the Bills out of San Diego State. Big-time punter, nicknamed Punt God, just booming punts all over the place. Big. I, boom, I was looking forward to seeing this kid on, on an NFL field to see the way he would impact a game. 
Not sure that's going to happen anytime soon, but I digress. Um, not trying to make light of this, but he's accused of gang rape. He and two other San Diego State players uh, for an incident that I think happened October of 2021. Okay, a few things here. The accuser at the time was 17 years old. Got him on the phone with the cops. Tried to get him to admit that they had had sex. Now, that happens. I hate to be the one to, to break the news to you, okay? I understand the law is the law. I think he was 21 at the time and she's 17. The reality is that happens a lot. Okay, just ask your favorite rapper. Just ask your favorite rock star. I promise you that thing has happened, okay, over and over and over again since the beginning of time. Maybe it happens less these days, okay, because people are more careful and they're, they're a little bit more conscious about how they could get in trouble for things like this, but it absolutely happens. There's a guy named Jerry Seinfeld. Ever heard of him? When he was doing his show, okay, when that show was still on the air, he had a 17-year-old girlfriend, and he wasn't 21. He was like, he was like twice that age, okay? Shoshana Lonstein, look it up. Okay, so the bottom line is, whether you approve or disapprove, because I, I know how this works. You know how this works. Once the accusation gets out there, sounds familiar, it takes on a life of its own, and they're just going to call the guy a rapist, because when you call someone a rapist, it makes you a great person. You're a woman's advocate. All you got to do is call someone a rapist. It's stupid, but that really is the way some people's minds function. Anyhow, let's get back to the matter in hand. The girl says that they engage in some sort of sex outside the home. I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's a pool, a porch, a patio. I, I don't know, just out in the lawn. I have no idea what she's talking about. Also, she's 17 and she's at a college party. How did she get there? Who brought, like, how did she, how was she, in, was she invited? Did she come with someone else? Who was she there with? None of those details have come out. So that's a little bit strange right there. She then alleges that she went inside with Matt Ariza, and I think I'm getting his name right, and two teammates, and they proceeded to gang rape her in a bedroom. She, woke, she walked out, she was shaken, she told friends, okay, and there were friends who apparently corroborated this. She said, hey, listen, something bad happened to me, I was attacked. She went to the cops, and apparently she was examined. Part of her story, though, is that she thinks she was drugged. My question is this, this is just a logical question, okay, just like with the Dawn Staley situation, logical question, how many Duke volleyball players... Okay, aside from the accuser, can corroborate this woman's story. The answer in the case of Dawn Staley and the Duke players is zero. None have come forward. So you have to you have to believe that someone yelled a racial slur from the stands, but only one person heard it. That doesn't make sense. That's not logical. So logically speaking, here with this case, did they perform a tox screening on her because she said she thinks she was given a drink with some sort of drug in it? Now, let me just stop right there. Unfortunately, both of those scenarios do happen. These are scenarios we've heard time and time again. Steubenville, Ohio, you had a bunch of high school players accused of this. Ohio State had a problem. It's happened at co college campuses all the time. These football teams, I don't know what the allure is of ganging up on a chick. Uh, three of you are in a room, two of you in a room, and there's one girl there. I don't get it, but I've heard this accusation over and over and over again. It happens, okay, and it's beyond wrong, obviously. The other part of that is if this kid drugged her, that is as sleazy and premeditated a move as there is. That's not, hey, we were at a party and we were both drunk. I don't know what happened. That means you went out and got something that you knew was going to incapacitate a girl for the purposes of doing something she doesn't want you doing. And if that's the case, and, I, and that's a big word here, if, if that happened, then you know what? Whatever happens to these guys happens. I really don't care. But the bottom line is if she goes to the cops now and says, hey, I think they drugged me. Did they not perform a tox screening? Did something show up in her system? If it did, these guys could be in a lot of trouble. 
But then again, we're getting into September 22 now. How is this 11 months later? This is a sex crimes investigation. There's been no arrest whatsoever, but now there's a civil suit. And the civil suit is filed right before the NFL season begins. That is interesting timing. And I think these are questions that need to be answered. I don't necessarily blame the Bills for cutting him because this is too much to have going on around your team. You know, you have, you have enough going on right now. You're playing the Super Bowl champions. You're, you're in a standalone Thursday night game opening the season. You've got a new offensive coordinator because your offensive coordinator is now coaching the Giants. You've got a lot of things going on there. What we do seem to know is that Matt Ariza had a party. He had a 17-year-old chick at his party, and he was somehow sexually involved with her. You're an NFL draft prospect. You need to know better than that. You need to be more careful about who's bringing who around your home. That's just, that's just its own separate thing. As far as any attack or any potential attack, hey, listen, I, I would think if her story is true, there would be a way to corroborate some of this stuff. And I'm not saying it's true or untrue. I'm saying that it's 11 months after the fact, and there's been nothing in the way of charges filed, and that's a little weird to me. So, And I'm not, listen, I am not a criminal expert. I am not a legal expert. I am not a sex crimes expert. I don't claim to be. But there are some things in this story, including the timing and including the attorney's behavior, that do sort of have a red flag look to them. So before you go jumping on the bandwagon and deciding this guy is some kind of crazy-ass rapist, maybe let it play out. You don't always have to react to something, I promise you. Sometimes not reacting is the best thing you can do. That's how a lot of bad things happen in life. Someone reacts, you react, they react again, overreact, and that's what you call escalation. And I just want to say this, and I kind of touched on this with Deshaun Watson, and I kind of touched on this with Trevor Bauer. If his defense is going to be, okay, this stuff happened, but it was consensual, I'm sorry, guys. This is just another what-are-you-thinking type of situation. But that is getting ahead of ourselves. We're not quite there yet. There's really a lot to learn about this case, bottom line. And again, you don't always have to have a reaction right away. You can just sort of sit back and wait for the facts to come to you. Moving on now. College football week one. Um, nothing really crazy. There was never, you know, sometimes it's week one of college football and you say, oh, Lord, this is going to be quite a season. We didn't really have that this year. He had a big Thursday opening. Oklahoma State handled Central Michigan. Central Michigan was able to move the ball on Oklahoma State. They came back late, and yes, Oklahoma State had pulled some of their starters, but Central Michigan is, I think, one of the better teams in the MAC this year. Um, just week one, but I was not really impressed by the Oklahoma State defense there. Pittsburgh and West Virginia, they go ahead and get the backyard brawl going again. You had Penn State with a late win over Purdue. Okay. That was Thursday night. Michigan State's ranked 15th in the country. They looked very ordinary to me in the little of the, the game I saw with them in Western Michigan. Alabama's tough to get a feel for because you know some of the players, you know there's always a pipeline there. The concern with them this year is offensive line. How good is their offensive line? They beat a Utah State team that kind of went down to the wire with UConn. It's not the best Utah State team in the world, but 55-0 is 55-0. I thought they looked I thought they looked good. I thought they also looked like they were playing a scrimmage. The Tide could have put up 80 with ease in this game. I'm not even kidding. You see it all the time with Nick Saban. I mean, they're up 41-0 at halftime. They put up 14 in the third quarter. They didn't even score in the fourth quarter. They still had 55 points on the board. So we all know Bryce Young, obviously. They have an interesting matchup this week against Texas. Texas brings in this kid, Quinn Ewers. He went to Ohio State. Remember, he skipped his senior year of high school to go play for Ryan Day. But then he found himself kind of, you know, low on the depth chart. I mean, you know, the kid is 16, 17 years old when he started college here. Finds himself low on the depth chart. And then there's a kid named C.J. Stroud that probably no one's getting out in front of. So he decides to go take his talents to Austin, Texas. They're going to play at noon on Saturday. I think that's going to be interesting. Alabama's like a 20-point favorite, which I'm thinking is way too many points. But it is Alabama. We'll see. We will, we'll see how that plays out. That's a, that's a nice way to start off your Saturday on a week when there are not a lot of really good college football games. My goodness. There's a few interesting ones, but man, it's a, it is a weird schedule. The game of the weekend was probably Ohio State-Notre Dame. I was on Ohio State in this game. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at BCAK, the man. Did not, was not a good Saturday. Hey, listen, sometimes good bets lose, and sometimes bad bets win. To me, 
the Ohio State game was a case of good bets losing. 11-point margin. They're favored by 16.5. I hit them again at 13.5 live. Why was that? Because I could see them dominating Notre Dame at the line of scrimmage. I didn't think Notre Dame was really going to be able to move the ball effectively. C.J. Stroud did not have his best game, especially early. It wasn't terrible, but he, he was just not, not really fine-tuned. He had a couple drops out there, a couple you know miscommunications. It's going to happen. It's week one. These are young players. But you had a missed 39-yard field goal by a kicker who never misses on Ohio State. They lose their best receiver, a kid who is a, a Heisman candidate. He's going to be probably a first-round draft, draft pick, second-round draft pick, unless he does something stupid like gang-rape a girl at a party. Uh, they lose him in the second quarter, which is, by the way, becoming a theme for me. I was on the Rams in the Super Bowl. OBJ goes down in the second quarter. I was on Alabama in the national championship game. Jamison Williams goes down second quarter. Man. I mean, you don't want to sit here and be a baby about things because they, they happen, but it's like, my goodness, I'm cursing these teams. But to me, between that and the fact that Notre Dame had one touchdown drive kept alive by a circus catch, he had a, basically a tip ball land in the belly of a kid who's laying on his back, and he made a great play. I mean, he made a great play to stay with it and make the catch, but, I mean, kind of fluky. And then you had a, a field goal drive by Notre Dame that was aided by a 15-yard roughing, roughing the passer call that, to me, never should have happened. Notre Dame put up 10 points the whole day. They got shut out in the second half. They had 70 yards of offense in the second half. And even with all of that, okay, Ohio State wins the game by 11. Ohio State was the dominant team here. I'm, I'm sorry, Notre Dame fans. I'm not trying to pick on you, as I was accused of a couple times. But, you know, everyone's out to get Notre Dame. I, I don't think that's really the case. Notre Dame was out gained 395 to 253 in this game. And that's with Ryan Day trying to burn the clock with about like 10, 11 minutes left. The other thing was this. Marcus Freeman has yet to win a college football game as a head coach. I know he's a good coach. I could see the reaction of the Notre Dame players, okay? They're all in with this guy. And I think it's a good hire by Notre Dame because the point was made, hey, listen, you can hire this guy or someone else is going to. We all know why certain people are pushing the agenda, which, which is ridiculous and, and demeaning to the guy. The guy is a big-time football coach. He's, go he's going to be, in my opinion, a good head coach. Doesn't always translate, but it can. But people are screaming and yelling about how Notre Dame has to hire Marcus Freeman. They must hire him. They, it's the right thing to do. He's the guy. How the hell do you know he's the guy? You know how many, how many great coordinators have become head coaches and just been sort of okay at it? Like Todd Bowles is, is coaching the Bucks again. I guarantee Todd Bowles co cost that team at least one game this year. He is not a good head coach, but he's a very good defensive coach. He's a real good defensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn, really good running backs coach, really good football coach. Head coach? No. He was costing his team games. He's bad. Even Jim Fossil, who got, got the Giants to a Super Bowl years ago, was a great offensive mind, but as a head coach, okay, Ben McAdoo with the Giants, Pat Shermer with the Giants. Are we noticing a theme here? Hey, these guys are good coaches. They're just not good head coaches. They're just not. Maybe Marcus Freeman's going to be a great head coach. I, I think he probably will in the end. I think he'll be a great recruiter, and I think he's a great front man. I think he's a good guy. But with less than four minutes left, and you have one timeout, and you're down 11 points, on third down, your quarterback gets sacked, and you punt the ball away. What message are you sending to your team? What message are you sending to your fan base that you're trying to cover the spread? What was that? I know I'm selfish here because a fourth down stop would have probably gotten me at least over the line with the live wager. But still, what logic, what logic are you using there? And no one on that Notre Dame sideline said, wait a second, what are you thinking? You're basically giving the game up. They, they couldn't stop Ohio State in the second half. All Ohio State had to do in the second half was hand the ball off, and they were pushing Notre Dame around. So bottom line is, not the, uh, not the greatest debut for that coach. I, it's not like it cost this team the game. The, the, the team wasn't winning anyway. But to me, that was just a sort of wave the white flag move. I didn't like to see that. I see it's, it's not just him. Okay, I saw it from Georgia Tech the other night against Clemson. They punt the ball away. 
Okay, they're down They're down two scores late or three scores late. They punt the ball away. But then the next series, after Clemson scores a touchdown, they trot their starting, starting quarterback out there. Well, what do you put your starting quarterback out there for if you are basically waving the white flag? I don't get it. Sometimes these coaches are just not all they're cracked up to be. They don't really live up to the social media hype. We'll see how it plays out for Marcus Freeman. He should have you know a, a few good weeks here before BYU comes to town in a few weeks and gives them another real test. Uh, Georgia steamrolled Oregon. I was on Oregon's team total in this game. Hear me out now. As much of an ass-kicking as this was, and it was an ass-kicking, I thought Oregon might be able to move the ball on a younger Georgia defense. Georgia lost a ton of NFL draft picks, many of them in the first two rounds. It's kind of ridiculous how many guys Oregon, or uh, excuse me, Georgia lost. And I figured Bo Nix, having some familiarity, Dan Lanning taking over as the Oregon coach, also having familiarity with, with Georgia because he was their defensive coordinator last year. I thought that would be a recipe for success. Their first drive goes 33 yards, gets to the gets to their own 47-yard line. They got a third and three at their own 47. They end up punting, okay? Their next drive, Oregon moves the ball to their own 47. Takes, they take a shot deep. Kid on Georgia makes a great play, picks it off, the drive ends. The drive after that, Oregon is able to move the ball inside of Georgia territory. First and 10 at the Georgia 29. Bo Nix tries to jam a ball into a very, very tight window. Interception, drive stalls, Okay. The next drive after that, they have a first and 10 at the Georgia 11-yard line and settle for a field goal. They moved the ball. They were actually able to move the ball. In fact, on the last drive of the half, they got the ball to the Georgia 36-yard line. They ran out of time. And apparently, they don't have a kicker who can kick a ball 53 yards indoors off a turf. Anyhow, I thought Oregon would move the ball a little bit, but they were just overmatched in this game. The other side that no one is really talking about here, and Oregon's defense is not very good, by the way, guys. It's worth mentioning they're not. Georgia's offense could have scored 70 points if they wanted to in this game. They were no match. Georgia's offense is really good. Stetson Bennett, I know, I know that's the big story. You know, he's a walk-on. He got sent to a junior college, came back, yada, yada, yada. But they have two tight ends that nobody can cover. They are a very, very, very dangerous team. And now, just getting off topic for a second, this new college football playoff format with 12 teams, it's tough to imagine an Alabama or a Georgia or, a, or an Ohio State or a Clemson missing the playoff ever again unless there's a disaster year like, like Clemson had last year. But it's just hard to see a scenario where you got to be one of the top 12 teams in the country. My goodness, the way, the way they just restock talent down there, crazy. Utah and Florida, very entertaining game. Also, I was on the wrong side of this one. Florida 29, Utah 26. Minor detail here. Uh, Utah scored a touchdown in the third quarter that was not allowed. It, I mean, the kid lands, lands with the ball in the end zone. It was a touchdown. He was over the line. They didn't even so much as look at it on replay. And then Kyle Whittingham says, you know what? Uh, it shouldn't matter. We should be able to punch this next one in. Well, the kick is the ball swatted out of his hand right before the goal line, and Utah doesn't score. That's the difference in the game. Anthony Richardson, however, worth mentioning. I saw so many quarterbacks this weekend that were not only impossible to take down, but are good throwers of the football, too. I mean, Ant I mean I'm talking about tough to take down in the pocket, but also uh, once they get a little bit, bit of a head of steam, and Anthony Richardson is a freak, man. He is really, really good. Michigan uh, rolls over Colorado State. Don't read too much into that. Colorado State couldn't block Michigan. So I know the cool thing is to talk about all the defensive things and, and to sort of be lazy in your analysis. But Michigan State was just rolling over them at the, the line of scrimmage, and that was the end of that. Oklahoma looks very good with the kid Dylan Gabriel, transfer from UCF as their quarterback now. They look very good in uh, Brett Venable's first game. NC State, maybe the biggest fraud in the country. They should have lost that game to East Carolina. I mean, they, they needed a blocked punt. They needed a missed extra point, a missed field goal at the end. They did not look like a very dynamic team. No point scored in the second half. They escape East Carolina with a one-point win. And that's supposed to be your number 13 team in the country? Yeah, pass. All right, quickly, let's move on to the NFL. Let's go game by game here. It is week one, so I just want to touch, touch all of them if I can. Bills-Rams, opening night, Thursday night. 
Uh, to me, no Odell Beckham, no Robert Woods, a little, some new faces on the offensive line for the Rams. The Bills will probably want to run the football more this year. Why? Internally in Buffalo, you hear talk about Sean McDermott and Brian Dayball sort of banging heads. Brian Dayball wants to sort of modernize the offense. Sean McDermott wants to establish physicality, establish the run, yada, yada, yada. The newer play callers, the more successful and analytical play callers in the NFL understand that you can't just run the ball on first down and create second and seven, second and eight, get stopped at the line of scrimmage and have second and ten. Why? Because now you're setting yourself up for second and long. What does second and long lead to? Third downs. Okay, the more third downs you have, never mind third down conversion rate, the more third downs you put yourself in, the more likely you're going to end up punting and obviously not scoring. I think this game is actually kind of an under. 52 and a half. Everyone thinks they're going to sling it around. I think the Bills run the ball more. And I think the Rams have a little issue themselves because Matthew Stafford has some sort of elbow problem. That is worth keeping an eye on this, this year. No Tredavious way for the Bills, by the way. They're going to start a rookie at corner out of Florida. That kid's going to have to deal with either Cooper Cup or more likely Allen Robinson. Welcome to the league. So I'm probably not going to do anything with that game, but if I had to do anything, I would look at the under there. Saints and Falcons. Saints are five and a half point favorites. That's probably a little too much on the road. I don't think the Falcons are as bad as advertised this year. Their biggest issue is probably their offensive line. They'll be a little better on defense. And I don't think Marcus Mariota is that bad. I watched him in preseason. He looked good. I know it's preseason, but the throws are the throws. He looked pretty good there. That could be kind of an interesting game. Uh, Niners Bears, you get Trey Lance uh, against Justin Fields there. Um, Look, I, I don't I don't think the Bears are in for a very good year. I will put it that way. But, you know, week one on the road. Niners are seven-point favorites. Man, you got some big lines this week. Steelers and Bears. Steelers are six-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. I'm sorry, the, the Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. It seems like that line should be, should be higher. Um, the Steelers are not going to be very good. They can't block anybody. They're also going to start Mitchell Trubisky at, uh, at quarterback. You never quite know what Mike Tomlin's going to do, but this just feels like, to me, under or pass, especially in the first half. It could be a very slow first half in that game. Eagles minus four at the Lions. Lions will be fun to watch when they get Jamison Williams back. Remember I mentioned him earlier. That's the kid from Alabama. Big-time wide receiver, but he had knee surgery, so he's going to be a little while. I think the Eagles are, at, are going to have a big-time year, and I think A.J. Brown really opens up that offense a lot. Jalen Hurts in his second full year as a starter. That's an intriguing game for me to watch. I, I will definitely be keeping an eye on that. Patriots and Dolphins. Miami actually got out to a three-and-a-half-point favorite um, as of yesterday. I think it's back down to minus three. There's a question as to whether Jalen Waddell will play in this game or not. Uh, the Patriots, I think, are in for a rough season. Their offensive line is not the best. They don't have a ton of faith in Mac Jones. I know they get their tight ends back this year, and they think that's going to make a big difference. Their wide receiver core is very, very modest, and I'm being kind. Miami has reinforced the offensive line. They brought in Tyree Kill, brought in some, some other faces, Raheem Mostert. You got a nice roster there. Does it all come together on week one? I don't know. This is Bill Belichick off a bye, Bill Belichick on week one, and those numbers would definitely be in the Patriots' favor from that perspective. So once that line gets to three and a half, I would expect enough action on the Patriots just on principle to get it back to minus three. But to me, it's Dolphins or nothing in that game. Ravens at the Jets. I'm curious who plays quarterback for the Jets. They're probably better off with Joe Flacco. Do you really want Zach Wilson going against the Ravens defense? The, the Ravens defense last year was terrible because the Ravens defense was completely decimated by injuries. They, they probably had the worst injury luck of anybody last year by far. Secondary was wiped. I mean, they were just completely wiped. They're a little bit rebuilt, but the, the bottom line is they're actually healthy. They're actually intact. I don't know if Zach Wilson, who basically went without a training camp the last three weeks, I don't really know how good he's going to be. And I think the Ravens are on kind of a mission this year. I think the Ravens are probably probably a pretty good bet to win that division. Uh, what scares me in the AFC North is not so much the Bengals, but if the Browns can stick around and if Deshaun Watson can be decent when he comes back, the Browns are a very, very dangerous team. 
Browns are a very dangerous team next year, but but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Ravens are seven-point favorites there. Might be an interesting teaser leg in week one, especially if Zach Wilson plays. Jags and Commanders pass. I'm sorry. I, I'll be very, very fascinated to see how the Jags are. We know the Commanders. We know how that's going to go. They're going to get their six, seven, or eight wins and you know, basically spoil someone's season at the end, but they're not really going to be a factor. Browns and Panthers, to me, this is an under. 41 and a half. The reason I'm not doing anything with it is I'm a little scared of the quarterbacks. Jacoby Brissett is not exactly the most accurate guy in the world. I can see him trying to make something happen, standing in the pocket too long, getting blindsided by one of the Browns pass rushers and giving up good field position to the Browns. I can see Baker Mayfield, who will get the star for the Panthers. Sam Darnold's on the IR anyway, but they didn't bring Baker in there to sit. I can see Baker Mayfield trying to do too much. We all know how he is. We can all, listen, these are two teams that want to go slow. The Browns want to run. The Panthers want to go dreadfully slow. Two pretty good defenses. The Panthers' offensive line has issues as it is. The Browns have some injuries, injury concerns now for their offensive line. So to me, it screams under. Screams under. The problem is I don't trust either one of these quarterbacks not to do something silly. The Colts, eight-point favorites at the Texans. Um, this actually has ticked down to seven, seven and a half in some spots. Darius Leonard, who's now going by Shaq Leonard, which will confuse a lot of people, might not play this game. That's your signal caller on defense. That's your that's your guy on defense. So a little bit of a red flag there. Otherwise, the Colts, I think, would make a decent teaser leg. You tease them down to minus one and a half, minus two. But without without Leonard there, I don't know. That might be a, tough for me to pull the trigger. Giants-Titans a fat, or is a fascinating game. Uh, I think the Giants are headed for potentially a big season. Potentially. I mean, again, real nice roster now. Does it all come together in week one? Does it come together in week four? We know about Daniel Jones. We know about Saquon Barkley, all the talk, contract years. They have to prove it, yada, yada, yada. I think the Titans, without A.J. Brown, take a giant, giant step back. That's just what I think. So I think that's a fascinating game, and it's also in the 4 o'clock window, which I like. Packers-Vikings, there's talk now that Alan Lazard may not play. Robert Tunyon's coming off an injury. There's talk about the rookie that they just drafted, a wide receiver, possibly not playing. We're not sure who's going to be on the field for the Packers. I think the Vikings are in for a big year, a very big year. Why? Addition by subtraction. You get Mike Zimmer out of there, that dreadful offense. I think he was handcuffing Kirk Cousins. Uh, Dalvin Cook suffered because of it. Their tight ends were basically non-existent in his offense. You get Justin Jefferson some help. You sign Jalen Rager from the Eagles. You just They just needed another body out there. But more importantly, they need an offense they can work with. Their defense isn't the greatest. They don't need their defense to be great, though, if their offense can actually live up to just like 80% of its potential. I think the Vikings are in for a big year. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, the Chiefs are now six-point favorites at the Arizona Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are in for a down year. I don't think Tyreek Hill uh, being gone really hurts the Chiefs that much, especially because what started happening the last couple of years, you saw the Raiders have a lot of success with this. Teams just started backing off the Chiefs and saying, you know what, if you're going to beat us, beat us underneath. That's not exactly the best thing for Tyreek Hill. Tyreek's a field stretcher. And you can throw him underneath and let him make a play with the ball. I get it. But I don't think it hurts them that much. They draft a young wide receiver. I, I watched them in preseason. This offense looked as good as it's ever looked. I think the, the Cardinals with no DeAndre Hopkins early, no Christian Kirk anymore. I, I just Their offensive line is not very good. I'm not huge on Kyler Murray. He's, he's great for a highlight reel. But when it co just comes down to 17 football games week in, week out, I'm not a fan of him or the coach. I'm just not. Raiders Chargers. I'm interested to see a couple things. I'm interested to see Devontae Adams in that offense. There's talk now that Darren Waller may not play. I'm also curious to see how Brandon Staley handles the embarrassment of last year. And if he owns up to it and maybe just, just engages in just a little bit less of these look-at-me tactics, you know, going for it on fourth down from your own 24-yard line, shit like that. It cost this team the playoffs last year, and it's a good, good team. The, the Chargers, to me, are very, very dangerous. They, they put some money into their defense, and what was a sort of okay defense could actually be a very good one this year. 
That could be a very scary team. Tough division, but that could be a really scary team. Bucks and Cowboys, to me, is under or nothing. Both teams are banged up on the offensive line. Um, Tom Brady does not like getting hit. Offensive line is banged up. Now you got Mark, Micah Parsons and company coming after you. Remember, no more Bruce Arians, so you're not just looking to heave the ball downfield uh, every chance you get here. Same, same offensive coordinator in, in Byron Leftwich, but to me, Tom Brady not only doesn't like to get hit, he just doesn't get hit. That, t- that tells me you're going to have a lot of quick passes in this offense, a lot of running clock. Dallas has issues on their offensive line, and of course, they are, you know, they are just basically stubborn when it comes to running the football too much. Can't run the football too much on first down. You become too predictable, and like we say, it sets up third downs, and that's basically been holding the Cowboys' offensive back for a, for a while. And so when the Cowboys get over their addiction to Ezekiel Elliott, I think they'll be a better team. Nothing against Zeke. It just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for them. But I think you're going to see a lower-scoring game than people thought. This total came down from like 51.5, 52. Now it's down to 50. So someone else feels the same way. And then you get Russell Wilson returning to Seattle on Monday Night Football in Week 1 with his new fancy Denver offense. So I can't wait to see that. Now, picks this week. Something a little different this year. At least as it pertains to week one, we're going to do three season-long plays here. And here they are. Number one, Minnesota Vikings over nine wins. I think I got into that earlier in the show. I'm not going to you know, spend a lot of time going back over it. But basically, I think this offense gets unleashed this year. I think they're a very dangerous team. I think they get to 10, 11 wins. I think they make the playoffs. I think they have a shot to win that division. Number two, the Indianapolis Colts. They're minus a buck 20 to a buck 30, depending on where you look, to win the AFC South. I'm not sold that the... Jacksonville Jaguars are turning everything around this year. And I think the Tennessee Titans with no A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill trying to run the ship, uh, I just I just don't have a lot of confidence in them. I'm sorry. I think the Colts are a very, very good squad. Frank Reich has a reputation for starting off slowly. But then again, think about the quarterbacks he's had to deal with. I mean, it's a new quarterback almost every year now. Carson Wentz, before that, Phillip Rivers. Remember Phillip Rivers was a Colt? Remember all that? Remember they blew the game in Buffalo? They should have won. Before that, you're talking about Jacoby Brissett and obviously Andrew Luck before that. I think Matt Ryan is there with a purpose. I think he has basically been buried in Atlanta these last few years, ever since that Super Bowl. And I think the Colts make a lot of sense in that spot. Obviously, the Texans aren't really part of the conversation there. No offense, Houston Texans fans, but you've got enough problems. And then the third play is going to be, this is a season-long receiving prop. Mike Evans under 1,044 and a half yards. What's the logic there? What did I just say about that Sunday night game? I think Tom Brady is going to be throwing a lot more quick passes this year just to basically stay on his feet. I think you're going to see a more controlled passing game out of the Bucs. You also have Russell Gage in the mix now. Chris Godwin's coming back. So there's more of a variety for Mr. Brady to choose from. Mike Evans, I'm I'm a big Mike Evans fan. But I think you're just looking at a more controlled passing game for the Bucs this year. They have offensive line issues. Hey, no time to throw is no time to get downfield. That's just how it works, folks. So those are the three plays here. Mike Evans under 1,044 and a half receiving yards. The Colts to win the AFC South. And the Minnesota Vikings over nine wins. Now, anything else I do this weekend will be up on Twitter. Remember, you follow me there at BCAK, the man for both college football, which I promise will go better. I promise it'll go better than it did last week. And for NFL stuff, the NFL stuff is almost always up by noon on Sunday. And with that, it's all the time we got this week on The Air Attack. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out facebook.com slash The Air Attack. Also, follow me on Twitter at BCAK, the man. And remember, The Air Attack with BC, the man can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Anchor app. Subscribe and share today. Close it out tonight with the same guy who opens every air attack. Here's Lace. All right, all right. I am BC the man. I will see you guys next week on the air attack.
M.I.A. No worries, we do this every day. We get the K, so no mistake. Ain't nothing fake in the morning, we can bake. And then we ride, you know we slide to the other side. All night we gon' vibe. Go drink and smoke, so roll up. I know you're about that, so shout and turn up. You got money, you make them big bucks. On Instagram with your big buck, huh? I like your style, I like your smile. Let's get wild for a while, maybe have a child. Hi, I'm just joking, smoking something potent. Cause you know that getting to the money's more potent. You a boss girl, and I'm a boss too. So let's do what we do and make them boss moves. I got your number, so I'ma call you. And this is what I thought when I saw you. I see you looking good, girl. I see you looking good, girl. I see you getting money, girl. I see you getting money, girl. I see you riding clean, girl. I see you riding clean, girl. All right, all right, all right, all right. I see you looking good, girl. I see you looking good, girl. I see you getting money, girl. I see you getting money, girl. I see you riding clean, girl. I see you riding clean, girl. All right, all right, all right, all right. I see you riding clean, looking like a queen. All about your green, everyday pursue your dream. You bossed up, you laced out, cause you out here on the grind doing what they ain't about. You ain't about no drama, ain't worry about these hoes You laughing at these niggas, you focused on your goals I-N-D-E, girl, you independent M-I-A, 305, girl, I represent it You a hustler, I'm a hustler, one thing in common Let's get this money, I know you hear it calling Dumb sucker haters, they fear to see us falling They wanna see us falling, but they won't Cause we can't, laughing straight to the bank After that, we blowing dank, so shout it what you think You deserve a man, a man that understands Step before this love, we gotta get them grants Business before pleasure Yeah, mama, do your thing, get more cheddar Holla at your boy whenever And this the last thing I had to tell ya I see you looking good, girl I see you looking good, girl I see you getting money, girl I see you getting money, girl I see you riding clean, girl I see you riding clean, girl Alright, 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 alright I see you looking good, girl I see you looking good, girl Straight to the bank, to the bank. Left it straight to the bank, to the bank. Left it straight to the bank, to the bank. Left it straight to the boot, to the boot. Left it straight to the bank, to the bank. Left it straight to the boot, to the boot.